Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Episode 29, Kingdom-Saturated Ministry. How should you understand Jesus' miracles, healing ministry, and exorcisms? Surely these are acts of compassion, but they are so much more. In this lecture, learn how Jesus' deeds and words coalesce around his primary ministry focus, the kingdom of God. By examining three ancient Hebrew prophecies, we'll see how Jesus' own self-understanding helps make sense of his kingdom-saturated ministry. If you'd like to watch a video of this class or download the course notes, visit restitutio.org. Here is The Historical Jesus, Part 5, Kingdom Saturated Ministry. I'm really excited about this topic to talk to you about it tonight because I think understanding how Jesus grounded his ministry in the kingdom is a major key to unlocking what he was all about, and understanding his ministry. And so, whether we look at his preaching, his teaching, his healing ministry, his exorcisms, or even his favorite title he liked to refer to himself by, the kingdom is central to grasping Jesus. So to begin, I want to look at three prophecies with you about the kingdom from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. These three prophecies would have been in Jesus' Bible that he had in his time. Even though Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, he still had a Bible. (laughs) And his Bible is what we call the Old Testament. And so I want to look at one prophecy from Daniel and two from Isaiah. The first one from Daniel is in chapter 7, verses 13 and following. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness, this is verse 27, of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. I just want to direct your attention to something interesting in this, in this prophecy here. And that is, look in verse 14 there, where it says, To Him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That's saying the same thing three times. And then once again, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. If all people serve him, all nations serve him, and all languages serve him. And then again, a triplet where it says his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and one that shall not be destroyed. And so, if, if his kingdom is not going to pass away, it lasts forever, but it still says it three times over to make the, the point as strong as possible that this kingdom, that the Ancient of Days, that God gives to the Son of Man is forever and it's over everyone else. And that is really significant because before this, 
you, you get hints at this, but not quite, as, as, not quite said as big as this, where you might think, well, Jesus is just destined to, to sit on the throne of David and rule over the house of Israel. Well, to rule over all peoples, nations, and languages is a much bigger statement than just over one country. And then uh, notice that it says here, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's important as well, that it's under the heaven that is given. The second prophecy I want to look at you, uh, look at with you is Isaiah 35. Now again, the, there are th- probably dozens of prophecies about the kingdom of God in the Hebrew Bible. I'm looking at just three with you because I believe that these three, more than any other, was central to how Jesus thought about his own ministry. All right, so Isaiah 35, and this one I sliced and diced because I didn't want to read the whole chapter with you. Uh, but uh, uh, we'll start at the top there, verse 1. The desert shall rejoice, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. They shall see the glory of Yahweh. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What, what a magnificent prophecy. So it begins with this part about the desert rejoicing and blossoming. Where we live, that's not really a significant issue, is it? You know, I mean, I, my soil is a bit sandy. I would, I would like it to not be as sandy as it is, but we don't really have deserts around here. But they did. They lived. You know, Israel is this little bit of a land bridge where so, there are some pockets that aren't desert, and then if you go east of Israel... It's all desert. So that's a major problem. God's going to heal that. That's part of his promise for the future. And then he says, furthermore, in verse 5 there, did you catch that? About all the healing, right? The eyes of the blind, the lame are going to not just walk or stand or even run, but leap like a deer. Have you ever seen a deer leap over a fence or leap over some object? It's just incredible how high they can go. No running start or anything. You just right over And the tongue of the mute isn't just going to speak, but it's going to sing for joy. And then at the end here, it talks about how joy and sorrow, or there's going to be joy because sorrow and sighing shall flee away. A good day to look forward to. Isaiah 61 is the third of the three prophecies I want to look at with you to set up Jesus' kingdom-saturated ministry. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God, or the Lord Yahweh, is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. 
Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. In their land you shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord Yahweh will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. That's a, I, I took a little bit more from that chapter than the other ones. But you get the picture. There is this herald who's given this job to proclaim good news and to bind up the brokenhearted and to set free the captives because there's this kingdom coming. And it has vengeance, but then it has all this restitution and restoration as well. So I just want to summarize quickly. Uh, the first is that God gives the kingdom to a son of man or the son of man. That We saw that in Daniel. God's kingdom is over all nations forever. God's people receive the kingdom. God will heal the land. For example, the deserts blossom. God will bring vengeance and salvation God will heal His people of all ailments, whether blindness or lameness. God's people will rejoice with no more sorrow. God will comfort, enrich, and bless His people. And last of all, God's people will possess the land with eternal joy. I mean, those are some significant bullet points from just three prophecies that paint for us a picture of what God plans to do with our world. And so the kingdom is the age when God sets everything wrong with the world, right. When He heals our world, when He judges our world, the wicked He judges and rewards the righteous. When He restores the world back to the way it was in the beginning. Sadly, many are confused about God's plans for His people. They think God wants to bring us to heaven. But this isn't true. God doesn't want to bring us up. He wants to bring heaven down to us. He created our world to be inhabited. In Isaiah 45, 18, God says, I did not create it empty or vain. I created it to be inhabited. So he's not planning on abandoning our world or evacuating it. No, he's going to rescue it and restore it. It's important to get our understanding about this trait because it's, it's, it's almost impossible to understand Jesus. Maybe it is impossible to understand Jesus without understanding the kingdom of God. It's like not realizing that your friend Barack that you play golf with on a regular basis happens to be the president of the United States at the same time. You don't really understand him. And so it is with Jesus whose destiny is to be the ruler of this kingdom that's coming. And so let's take a look at Jesus' inaugural ministry, uh, his inaugural sermon where he begins his ministry. And we'll start in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, you remember last time we looked at the temptations of Jesus? So when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The power of the Spirit. And a report about him went out through the, all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the prophecy from chapter 61. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus takes Isaiah 61 as his mission statement. For Jesus, if you ask him, well, what is your ministry all about? All right, you, you've been baptized by John. You've been tempted by the devil. You're going to start your ministry. What's it all about? What do you think it's about? Everyone else is going to have their own opinion, right? And some of those opinions might be right or wrong, but what does Jesus think his, he's doing? What does he think he's up to? He thinks he's up to the mission statement of Isaiah 61, which includes all these different elements that he just, he just mentioned here in verse 18, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. When did that happen? At his baptism, right? The Spirit came upon him, and he's anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He's going to spend a lot of time proclaiming gospel or proclaiming good news. Um, he proclaims liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind. Jesus' miracles are also included in this inaugural description taken from Isaiah 61. So Isaiah 61, what I'm saying to you, is a vision of the kingdom, and Jesus says that defines his ministry. He's, come, he's claiming to be God's agent to heal the world. From this day forward, he goes town to town preaching God's kingdom. Take a look at this scripture from Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4.11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, from the time after he went north and came to this area and had his main base in Capernaum, he began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 23, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. I love how it says every there. It doesn't say most or a lot. It's like every, he healed them all. We'll get to that in a little bit here. But look at, look at this, uh, this statement here, the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is calling people to repentance. Kingdom of heaven is just another way of saying uh, God's kingdom or heaven's kingdom that comes to the earth. It's identical to the kingdom of God. So Jesus went around and he would proclaim to people and, and call them to repentance, just like John the Baptist had done before him, using the same exact words that John had even used. Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. And so he's, he's telling people that this... Um, decisive moment when God in, uh, interacts with human history and brings about this age, is it's at hand. You need to get right with God. You need to repent. You need to change your life. He went about proclaiming that good news. Later on, he sent out the twelve. And when he sent out the twelve, he gave them the same message that he had. And he said, Proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same exact message that Jesus had. That's Matthew 10, 7. Then later on, he sent out the 70 to preach. 
the kingdom. And the, for them, he told them to say, heal people and stay at their house and talk to them and let them know the kingdom of God has come near to you. That was Luke chapter 10, verse 9. In his sermon about the end of the world, we'll get to that, in Matthew 24, he says that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations as a testimony, and then the end will come. So it's not even a, a, a message that's going to expire until the end comes. And then lastly, after God raised him from the dead, but before he ascended into heaven, there was a 40-day period where, according to Acts 1-3, Jesus spent it with them speaking about the kingdom. And so Jesus was a kingdom preacher. That's the first thing. The second thing is that he taught people how to live. We're going to look next at Rabbi Jesus. But before we get to that one, I want to, I want to look at his teaching in the light of this kingdom um, saturation. In his main teaching on how to live, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, he can't help but mention the kingdom eight times. It's not even about the kingdom. He's not preaching about the kingdom. He's talking about how to live. But he keeps talking about the kingdom as a reward for those who live that way. And in fact, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's the key to ethics. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, or what you're going to wear, or these other sorts of mundane things. But instead, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest. Also, his parables. A lot of his parables, they begin... The kingdom is like a mustard seed, or the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field, or the kingdom is like a sower who went out to sow, or the kingdom is like leaven. But Jesus' ministry didn't stop there. Not only did he preach the gospel of the kingdom, not only did he send others to do the same, not only did he explain how to live in light of the kingdom, and this is the exciting part, but he enacted the kingdom. He enacted the kingdom. There was one time that Jesus went to a town called Nain. And on his way to the town of Nain, he had his disciples with him. And beyond the disciples, so he has a number of disciples, but then beyond them, he has a huge crowd of people. And so you have to get the mind, mind picture here. We're not talking about cars or trains. We're talking about people on foot walking through the countryside from village to village. And Jesus is so popular and, and people are so interested in him that they're literally following him around to see what he's going to do. And so he has his disciples, his, 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 his inner core, but then you have this whole crowd. And he, so when he travels, he's got like an entourage, a whole group of people, right? And he comes upon this village called Nain, and as he draws near to the village, there's a funeral procession coming out of the village towards him. So Jesus and his crowd is, is coming one way towards the village, and then coming out is this funeral procession, and it's the funeral for a young man who had died whose mother was a widow. And in that situation, you can just imagine her grief, right? I mean, the unimaginable pain of losing a child after having already lost her husband, and in their culture, they're, you know, these are not Germans. These are Jews. You know, they're, they're, they're not holding back. No offense to the Germans in the room. Uh, but they're not, 
<laughs> I got a little German. But uh, they're not holding back. They're letting it out. They're wailing. They're sobbing. They're weeping. I mean, you've got to get the picture. I mean, this woman has suffered tragedy, deep tragedy. And so there's a whole bunch of people there to support her. There's, there's, there's a group coming out, and they're carrying on their shoulders a beer, and upon that, the young man. And Jesus just kind of stumbles onto the scene. And Jesus is probably talking about how you don't need to worry about anything. The lilies of the field neither toil nor spin, and God takes care of them. And then he's confronted with premature death right in front of him. And so what Jesus does is he goes up to the woman... He singles her out amongst the crowd, and he says to her, do not weep. And then he, stop, then he touches the bier, the, the part where they're carrying the, the dead man, and everyone just stops. The whole scene freezes. You know, Jesus' people, they're curious, like, what's he going to do? Right? And then the other people are like, what is he doing? Who does he think he is? We don't know this guy. He doesn't know her. And then he does the impossible. He speaks to the young man. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And he sits up. He sits up. And in that moment, Jesus heals a dead man. <laughs> There's a new one. He heals a dead man. The dead man comes back to life. And Jesus takes him down and gives him to his mother. I mean, this isn't... I mean, what kind of rejoicing do you get in that scene in, on that day? What kind of shouting and hollering? And they probably did that weird tongue thing. And whatever else, you know, just like going crazy for the fact that, did you see that? And there's no reason, you know, there's no reason for Jesus to, to, to do this. You know, this isn't, there's nothing in the text that says this is one of his followers or that he knew the woman. This is a random chance event. You know, he just happened to be there. They happened to be coming out, and Jesus acted. And so, what I'm saying to you is that he's, he's the kingdom preacher. You know, Jesus is out preaching the kingdom, right? Didn't he say that he's the one that's, that's opening the eyes of the blind and making the lame leap like a deer and all this other stuff? Well, talk is cheap, right? And then you do it, right? He actually did it. And so he enacts the kingdom. Where he goes, there's a bubble of the kingdom surrounding him. But why, do I, why, why am I so convinced that Jesus' healing of this young man is connected in his mind to the kingdom? Well, it turns out this was a big event, and it got reported all over the place. This is all found in Luke chapter 7. It gets reported all over the place. And in fact, it was reported so, so broadly that some people even told John, who was in jail. The news reached John in jail. And John sent two disciples to Jesus. And the disciples asked Jesus the question, are you the expected one? And of course as was his style, Jesus did not answer them direct, directly. He encoded his response in two scripture quotations, which, as we'll see, would have been pretty normal back in their culture. People were expected to know scripture. It was a big part of who they were. And 
If, if you quoted or, or even just paraphrased something, people knew what you were talking about. And so what ends up happening is they say, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And just at the moment they arrive, Jesus is healing all kinds of people. Right? He's healing people from diseases, from plagues, from evil spirits, and from blindness. And so Jesus replied, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. This is Luke 7.22. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus responds back by quoting Scripture. This part, well, let me, let me quote it so you, you know that I'm... This is directly from Isaiah 35 where it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. So you have the blind man, right, receiving sight. You have the lame walking. He doesn't mention the lepers, but he talks about the deaf hearing. Right? These are all statements, right, from Isaiah 35. And then... From Isaiah 61, you get this other statement, the poor have the good news preached to them. So what Jesus is doing is, is he's, he's quoting from Isaiah 35, these, these top parts, and the bottom part is from Isaiah 61. And he's encoding that in his response, and he's saying, go tell John this. And John's going to recognize that. Do you know what Jesus' answer is? Yes. Are you the one who is to come? Yes, I'm the one who is to come. How do you know? How does Jesus think John should know? By looking at his healing ministry. That's how he should know that he is the one who is to come. That is the man of the kingdom, the Messiah. John's question is, are you the Messiah? Jesus' answer is, do you see my kingdom miracles? You know, Jesus' miracles, we can look at so many of his different miracles. They are acts of compassion, right? Jesus can heal people. He sees people. Even sometimes in the scripture, it actually says he had compassion on this person, right? But that's not all they are. They're acts of power. They're mighty acts, you know, impressive acts that, that would get people's attention. But that's not all they were. They, they, they weren't just compassionate or powerful. They pointed to his identity as the kingdom man, the one destined to rule the world. They, the, 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 the acts of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the healing ministry of Jesus pointed to the beautiful future that the prophets envisioned. They point to an age when everyone enjoys perfect health. Jesus encounters a, 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 a man who suffered premature death. And in the kingdom of God, nobody suffers premature death. In the kingdom of God, nobody even dies. So what does Jesus do? He makes him alive. He enacts the kingdom. He, bring, he brings these, these uh, people a taste of what's to come. <coughs> I don't want you to think that I'm saying the kingdom is the church or the kingdom is just doing the will of God. That's not what I'm saying. The kingdom is this future, beautiful age when God sets everything right on this world. That's what it is. But Jesus doesn't need to wait until then to testify and to bring forth signs of the kingdom, to give people a taste. Don't confuse the appetizer for the meal. 
right? The appetizer's good, but the meal is so much bigger. At least it's supposed to be, right? But he doesn't stop there. You look at his exorcism ministry, how he cast out spirits. You know, Jesus entered into hand-to-hand combat with these spirits. And this incident here in Matthew 12, 28, Jesus says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's like the kingdom dropped on your head. Right? These people are accusing him of casting out spirits by a, a demonic force. He's like, first of all, it doesn't make any sense. But if it's by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is, has, has come upon you. you. It's dropped right in your midst in this act of liberation, setting the captives free. That's not all. What was Jesus' favorite title? Was it Son of God, Son of Man, Christ? The Nazarene, Lord, Rabbi, Teacher, Messiah. It was the Son of Man. 83 times in the Gospels, the Son of Man. Jesus would call himself the Son of Man. It's kind of weird. He would talk about himself in the third person. Instead of I, he would say, the Son of Man has to do this or that. Right? And other times he would talk about the Son of Man in, in, you know, in the sense of something that's going to happen in the future. Jesus preferred this term and used it all the time. The the phrase son of man means one of two things. Either it means a human being or it means the one Daniel prophesied about that's going to receive the kingdom and rule over all the world forever. Right? So either it's just like this really humble term. Like, I'm just just another mortal. I'm just another human. Or Or it means... I am the, the human that God has designated as the ruler over all forever. <laughs> it's such a great term. And Jesus loved it. He loved it because um, it forced other people to think and forced other, you know, he didn't want to come out and say, I'm the Messiah because that would get reported around. Oh, he claims to be the Messiah. You know, it, it wasn't the time for that. So he would say, the son of man. He would say, the son of man. People didn't know if Jesus was talking about himself or someone else, if he was just being humble, or if he was claiming to be the Son of Man. And so, let let me just summarize a little bit here. Number one, Jesus preached the kingdom from village to village. If you ask Jesus, what are you doing today? He'd be like, preaching the kingdom. Village to village. In Luke 4, 43, he's so successful that they say to him, don't leave. Stay. Stay here. We like you. He says, I must go preach the kingdom to the other villages also, for that's the purpose for which I was sent. And he goes, and he goes from village to village, preaching the kingdom. So his gospel ministry centered on the kingdom. His teaching centered on living in light of the kingdom. His healing ministry pointed to the future kingdom age. His exorcisms indicated the kingdom came upon people. And his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man, refers to him as the leader of God's kingdom. But there's more. There's more. He also calls 12 disciples. You ever ask yourself, why do you call 12 disciples? Why wasn't it 5? Why wasn't it 30? 
Why was it 12? He calls 12 disciples because he's regathering Israel around himself. And he promises those 12 that they are going to rule on 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel in the kingdom of God. And so he, he's, he's pointed to it not just with his words and what he speaks, but with his actions and with even just the number of people he chooses to be his closest followers. If you read the Gospels without first reading the Old Testament and getting a clear understanding of the kingdom, it's easy to think that the kingdom is just you know, doing God's will or something like that. But the, from the Hebrew prophets, we know it's much bigger. It's a time when God sets the world right and heals it from all its problems. It's a time of resurrection and life. I keep saying the time, the time, the time. The, the kingdom is the age to come. It's not this present. If, if Jesus returns tonight, then the age to come would arrive. But if he doesn't, then the age to come is still future. It's still to come. That's why, I guess that's why we call it age to come. Uh, so Jesus is giving people a taste of the kingdom, just like um, an appetizer, or he's giving them a preview. But if, if you see a preview, don't confuse that with the actual film, right? The preview is not the movie. But it sure gives you a feel for it, doesn't it? If it's a good preview. If it's a good trailer, it'll, it'll, it'll get you interested without giving away too much, right? And so Jesus brings forth signs of the kingdom. And then we, uh, finally we get to this moment in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus asks his disciples, what do people say about me? And they say, oh, well, he's, some people think you're a prophet or, or you're like Elijah or whatever. Jesus is like, well, what do you say? And Peter stands up in his finest moment. And he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus praises him and says, you know, blessed are you, Simon, because my, fa you know, fa my father has revealed this to you. And then he immediately says, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. Wasn't ready for that proclamation. You know, everything was pointing to it, but he didn't want it to just be crassly stated because the time was not yet ready for it. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.